industrial marketing friends from Gorilla76, the industrial marketing agency. This is the Manufacturing Marketer Podcast, a show dedicated to all the small marketing teams working at companies that make stuff. I'm your host, Aaron. Sadly, no Brendan today, but I do have a very special guest, Nick Taconi, with us. If you listen to last week's episode, you'll remember Nick. He came on Industrial Marketing Live and talked about how to achieve professional product videos. He talked a lot about the high-level planning involved and how to work with a production company to shoot content. Today, we're continuing that conversation by talking about what makes a great product video in detail, down to some of the specific shots you should instruct your videographer to get. So Nick, thanks for being here. You want to briefly reintroduce yourself? Totally. Thanks for having me, Aaron. Um, yeah, I'm Nick Ciccone. I'm senior videographer at Gorilla76. I've been working in video for the last 10 years or so um, in a variety of different positions from shooting and editing and more of like a junior editing position to cutting specifically promotional content and producing um, all kinds of different videos for other companies. So I've been with Gorilla for the last three years, um, being a little bit of a one-man band working with the other Gorilla team members to bring some of the video concepts that our strategists come up with, help our copywriters um, write and draft and outline them, and then actually going out and shooting and editing those together for the different campaigns that our strategists run. So it's a little bit about my background, but super stoked to be here. Yeah, Nick basically built our video program from the ground up. So he uh, he really knows what he's talking about. It's. It's been fun. There was a lot of trust from Joe and John whenever I started. And that's been one of the things that's been super awesome about Gorilla specifically is like it's a very trusting and collaborative space. And they because of the type of people that are here, um, I feel like they give a lot of trust. And yeah, that's been really I've tried to make good use of that trust in my time here. Yeah, you definitely have. So, Nick, when we're thinking about making a really strong product video, obviously product video could mean a lot of different things to a lot of different people. But how would you define um, the objective of a strong product video? What should it kind of achieve? Yeah, I think um, I think at its core, a strong product video should clearly communicate to the audience, oftentimes a customer. Um, what the product is, what purpose it serves, and why it stands out as what it is. Um, whether it does something better than, you know, the other types of products that are out there, it's the only kind of thing that's out there that does this type of thing. It's easier to use. Uh, it, it should communicate all of that very clearly um, while being supported by strong visuals that help the audience to not only, like, see what it is, but understand how it is used um and ideally if you're lucky uh see it in use which isn't always the case and we might talk about that a little later but yeah those those are kind of like the big goals i mean and it, as the marketer since we're talking to marketers you'll understand that you'll have a better sense of that i think it's just important to put it down into into writing or say it out loud what specifically you want it to do yeah and i think like if you're at that point where you've identified the need for a product video it was probably triggered by that, right? You have a very visual product and you need to, you can't just convey that with copy and pictures on your website. Um, it may have also been triggered by how it's going to be used. You know, maybe you want 
product videos for ad content. In that case, maybe it's like shorter, more engaging clips. Oftentimes, like it's a sales request. You want to be able to send like a demo or some really engaging visual uh, videos to a client as like a or a customer as a follow up. Um, so I think also thinking about how it's going to be used is important in the rest of the planning that you'll do. Totally. I think I think uh, 99 times out of 100, it will live on the product page on your website. But that also doesn't mean that it's not going to get, you know, one of the things that's nice is you can cut it up into a smaller chunk and throw it out on your social media. You know, a lot, we've done videos for clients because they specifically wanted to take it to a trade show booth and have it like playing on loop next to people because, say, the equipment's actually too big for them to physically bring with them. Um, so, yeah, there's a lot of different plenty of different things. It is it is smart to think about where you want it to be because it definitely informs how you're going to go about creating it. But I guess it, nine times, 99 times out of 100, it's going on that product page and you just need it to look pretty. Yeah, for sure. So on our last episode, uh, we talked a lot about the importance of planning and having a strong outline. Um, so once you kind of know what your objective is, how you're going to use this video what types of information should you actually be including in the product video? What should be going into this outline? Totally. Um, the thing I like to do is, you know, I always set up like a problem is a good place to start. Um, as far as like, as far as outlines are concerned, it, you know, it's you, it's you putting down into words specifically how you want the video to flow. So thinking about what is the first bit of information you want the audience to understand? Are you wanting them to see themselves in it? Or are you reminding them who you are? Um, it's, it's a good thing to, to hammer out before a lot of times what I like to do, um, we start with a problem, um, just kind of floating that out so that the audience can think and hear, and more importantly, see themselves in that situation. And then introducing the concept of the product that you're selling and like how it serves that problem to eliminate it. Um, so those are, that's kind of where I like to start whenever I'm doing an outline, but from there, it's like I break it up into different sections of like, what do we what do we really need to cover? I like to do a kind of a high level view, um, thinking that maybe not everybody's going to get to the end of your video. One of the earlier sections I like to do outside of like establishing a problem is talk about the product at that high level. You know, what is it? What are we talking about specifically? But um, what are the most important pieces? Maybe not everything. Maybe we don't need to talk about, you know, the backup camera on whatever vehicle that it is that you're selling. Maybe we need to talk about the drivetrain or that it's treaded to handle weird terrain or that there is, um, you know, a roll cage or something in there. What, what are the big important things? Hit those and then break them up into sections as you go for the different purposes that it's going to be utilized. That's Those are kind of the main things that I like to do. And really, I think this is one of the things where you talking to the engineers or the people that are actually making it to find out what were the most important pieces of this thing that you guys decided we need to make sure are in here. And then also where, you know, you guys as marketers are really play a key point is what are the things that the customers are super interested in that are going to grab their attention more so. So it's kind of like blending the two of those and figuring out, okay, what's the hierarchy, you know, what's A, B, C. And then if there's time, because you don't want it to be too long, um, you know, then you can get into D, E, F, if you can, but yeah. Yeah. I think like one of the major traps, like when you think of a product video, you're maybe thinking of something that's like really flashy and almost like 
a commercial for your product, but it, it doesn't necessarily have to be that maybe shouldn't be that. I think a trap is just like starting with um, all the features and benefits and not giving context to those. I think you do yourself a disservice if you talk about all these cool things that this like big shiny machine does, but you're not putting it in context of the actual problems that your customer's experiencing. Because unless they know how to do that, like mental gymnastics of, of connecting that feature to the exactly the problem they're facing, it might just go over their head and kind of just feel like a highlight reel of something they may or may not need to buy. Yeah, totally. Because I mean, thinking about that audience is they're not, you know, when you're making it, you want to talk about how great this thing is. They don't necessarily care about that. They want to know what it's going to do for them or why, you know, is this piece... I have this problem. How does this solve that for me? That's what's going to get them excited about something. Mm-hmm. So, and, and it is kind of a blend. You know, it's got that commercial thing of you want people to be excited and engaged, but you have to remember also that unless you're giving them new information, um, there's a pitfall where it can kind of, we've all listened to somebody kind of like brag about themselves a little too much, you know, and maybe the first one is earned, you know, I climbed Mount Everest. That's really cool. But, uh, you know, then they start listing every mountain that they've climbed. You're like, we get it, buddy. You're a mountain climber. You know, you don't want to you don't want to do too much of that. You have to toot your own horn, but make sure it's always pointing back uh, to what matters to the customer, because it's it's kind of a it's a little bit you have to ha- enable a conversation that you're not actually having, if that makes sense. Like anticipate yeah. what it is they're going to want to know when they're going to get bored of something and try to keep it keep it moving, because the worst thing that can happen is they can turn it off. Um, but yeah, exactly. So that's a good segue into kind of like the format of the video. We've talked about, you know, your objective and and what type of content should be included, but there's lots of different ways to achieve that. So Nick, what are some of the different formats you've seen for product videos? Um, I'm trying to think of different, different formats. I mean, do you mean specifically like aspect ratios or like where they live or like just approach? Like how you would structure it. Like, for example, like, is it including interviews or is it using a voiceover? Is it a demo or is it just B-roll strung together? You know, some of those different options. No, that's a great question. Well, I think that what's important about that. Yeah, I love this distinction because those approaches are all very different and they're contingent on what's at your disposal. You know, Um, for if we were keeping the lens on like something with a little bit more, um, polish and like high level production, you know, yielding information via an interview or through a voiceover are both probably the strongest way to go. You know, ideally you're seeing some kind of demo in there, but if you're, a you know, an army of one as a marketer and all you can do is, you know, get your iPhone out and go out and film a demo, technically that's a product video. But if we're talking about the more elevated stuff, yeah, having your information presented either through an interview with an engineer or maybe a member of the sales team that can kind of talk intelligently about what the product is. That's definitely one way to do it. My preferred way to do a product video is through scripted voiceover. Um, It is more time consuming, is a more expensive way to go. But the benefit and what you get by doing it that way is you get to be really, really intentional about what it is that you're saying and how it's being said. Um, so to like kind of draw a difference there, we do a lot of interview based ones and we'll do interview based product videos. What's nice about those is we hear specifically from those individuals. 
Um, what we're doing with that though is we're writing questions. We're writing an outline out of what information we want to have and then writing questions to ask the engineer to get them to say that. And then um, what's great about that is we get to hear from them. It humanizes it. We get to get a sense of the people that are behind this product. What is a problem with that is uh, you might not get the exact phrasing that you wanted, or maybe someone misspeaks a little bit and says, you know, uh, I don't know, a wrong spec or something like that. You can obviously go back, but if you don't catch it until post, you know, you're kind of in an issue. What's great about doing a voiceover approach is a lot of times you still do the outline, you know, you still write all that out, but then you write out specifically what words are being said and you get to choose the voice, you know, do you want something that is rugged and masculine? Do you want something that is uh, highly intelligent and a little more elegant sounding? You know, you get to kind of choose the tone that kind of plays with your brand well or the product well. Um, so I think those are kind of like the two the two biggest styles. I mean, when you're doing a product video, there's some things that I think are kind of universal, right? Uh, it, it needs to remain short in some duration. There's a difference between doing a product video, which kind of serves a little bit as an advertisement and also a little bit of as an, of an educational piece, but you're not doing a how to operate the video or mm -hmm. the, the product video. You should talk about that. You should discuss how it's operated, but we don't need to get into the nitty gritty of all that stuff. Just enough to give somebody who is somewhat aware good information. I feel like I'm rambling now, but I think um, when you're doing a product video, if I would recommend any which way to go, usually I would say voiceover is probably the strongest just because of the control that you get out of it. Yeah. And that makes sense when you're potentially trying to like include so much technical information. Um, your engineers probably do know that off the top of their head, but when you get in front of a camera, it's a whole different ball game. So totally. Nick, if you do have someone on camera, you're planning to do like a SME interview who, how do you identify who that should be? Oh, man. Um, it is a balancing act. I mean, first and foremost, they need to be aware of and, and able to speak to what it is that you're discussing. You know, if it's this product, they definitely need to be aware of it, right? Um, but we've definitely run into situations where uh, maybe the most qualified person to discuss a product or just any topic for that matter, maybe they're not very comfortable being on camera. Maybe they don't want to be on camera. Um, or maybe there's a ringer where, you know, you've got somebody who's like, no, you know, Shannon, she's, she can talk on camera. She's the one that we want to have on camera. Um, so they need to be able to speak to it, but it doesn't always have to be the most knowledgeable person. Oftentimes the most knowledgeable person about something doesn't necessarily want to be on there. Um, so finding someone who's comfortable enough to sit down and be on camera is important. And then you just kind of ride the line, but uh, definitely not an uncommon situation. Yeah. And that's probably another advantage of doing like a scripted voiceover is that SME who's the most knowledgeable, but maybe not comfortable being on camera. They'd still be a really good person to talk to when you're developing that voiceover script, I, I'd imagine. Absolutely. That's yeah. You should be talking to them at the very least. Um, they should they should be putting their final stamp of approval on what it is that you're putting into writing because yeah, no. If they're the ones that know, you know, they put it together. They know why why it's so impressive or you know how it solves this problem so specifically. Mm -hmm. So we talked about kind of like the different formats or like a style of video. 
but I want to get into detail of like the specific types of shots that you are looking for when you're on site. I'm sure this is something y'all get excited about. Um, but what, what types of things are like on your checklist, I guess, when you are going into a plant and shooting video? Totally. Um, it, for me, it always starts with that outline. And whenever, like before we're actually there, before we really, once we have an outline together, I will sit through and read through that and think of what, what do I want to see when we're talking about this? And we'll jot a list of that down. Whenever we do an outline, I always leave a little section for visuals just to kind of like remind myself of, you know, if we're talking about all the research that went into making sure that this part functions a specific way, I want to see, I want to see the engineer working on the computer, you know, and like have a visual representation of that. Uh, and I do that for every section, you know, we'll go through and just jot things down. Um, you, We've got an industrial oven manufacturer as one of our clients, you know, see an employee working steel into a frame or, you know, someone welding something. If there's a, I love big movements. I love big, uh, anything large, you know, that in anything kind of dynamic is something that's going to be fun to film. It's going to be visually engaging for the audience to see. So kind of like walking through and thinking on that, but the ones that are always like, we're going to, we always kind of do these types of shots. Obviously you've got to get the product, but Consider how it should be shown. Um, is it is it is it large? You know, like how how big is this thing? Is it small enough that you can move it to an environment where you can it'll look better? Um, or is it so large that you know you're only going to be able to film it in the spot that is being assembled? Um, so we need to make sure we kind of like clean up that area or make sure we have clearance or whatever safety stuff we need to do to be able to get there. But the shots I look for are you know, going down the list of like, what are the features of this product? And like, let's get a shot of it. We did one um, over the summer of a like, it was a track based machine that like crawled and um, it was for spraying a foam application onto landfills. So there were all these different like safety features that were built in of like a roll bar and a, you know, climate controlled cab and backup cameras and stuff. You know, we needed to get shots of all those things. So it was like, literally, if it was important enough for us to mention it, I needed to get a shot of it. Not all of those shots made it in, you know, one, mm -hmm. some shots are better than others. But two, you realize you show one backup camera, you don't need to show all three that are mounted on it. Um, sometimes you do, you know, sometimes that's a really important thing to do. But figuring out what are the things that are important enough for you to sell, kind of how I was talking about, you know, you can't go through every little piece of the puzzle because, um, ideally, you want them to reach out and talk to you. You want them to want to find more information. So what are the things that are going to be the most enticing to the audience? And make sure you get those shots. Um, the other thing is, can we get it in action? Mm -hmm. you know, uh, that, that foam-based applicator, you know, it's one thing to see a turret that's supposed to spray this foam, but it's another thing to see the thing spraying the foam, you know, so that becomes very, very important. Or if you're talking about the tracks and how it's able to move. Um, we want to see that, you know, we want to see those engaged and crawling over, you know, whatever hill or going up a dirt or moving over, you know, trash. Um, so find out like, it's kind of the thing of like, <laughs> what would be the coolest thing to show? And a lot of times that's going to be something that's on your list to actually get. Um, some things you can't, uh, we've wanted to put a camera inside one of those industrial ovens. It's not going to happen. We'll never get the footage back. Um, but 
you know, kind of thinking through like, what are the things that are important to show? What would be uh, exciting to film? And more so, what is your audience going to want to see to help them visualize why this product is going to solve their problem? Yeah. And I've also noticed like when on site with you for these shoots, you get a really nice mix of shots. Like you'll also show people interacting with things. You'll get like a close up of somebody's hand, like programming, um, like a recipe for like a machine or something like that. Um, what's kind of like your ideal mix of, you know, close ups versus wide shots versus people shots. How do you think about getting a good variety there? Uh, I like to shoot coverage. Um, and so usually it's a wide shot, a medium shot and a close up shot. And really what I'm doing is trying to shoot little sequences that will cut together. So, I mean, talking about like someone's programming in, you know, a recipe for this machine to operate. I want to get a wide shot of them walking up and turning on the touchscreen display to kind of contextualize how big this machine is compared to this individual. Then I want to get a medium shot of them actually engaging it, kind of show the thoughtfulness of you know, how this is set up to be easy to use um, next to this machine. And then an insert of them on the touchscreen, you know, poking around. That's going to, you know, to to just kind of showcase like all of the little features and details. And then maybe get a shot of the person's face showing them being able to think about their work instead of, you know, whatever pain point they used to have before this machine was in their life. But the goal of all of that is to now whenever I get into post-production and I'm cutting something together, I have a mini sequence. And because I shot it like that in that order, I can now tell a little visual story of instead of just showing the touchscreen working, which sometimes can be, you know, interesting, sometimes can feel a little bland. Now we have a little bit of a story of someone walking up and seeing it from different angles and seeing how that machinery is interacted with by the human that's actually using it. Um, those are that's kind of the thing. That's the secret as far as like shots go is like, you know, shoot coverage, wide, medium, close up. That'll usually get you home home where you need to be. Yeah, that's awesome. So what are some things that people often forget to capture or could be easily forgotten? Mm. That's a good question. I I don't know. For me, it's. For me, it's thinking it all the way through of like the story that you're telling. Um, one thing I try to always make time for is to go film the engineers that were responsible for making it. Because at some point, excuse me, a lot of the product videos that we make, we're talking about how intentionally and thoughtfully these things were created. And the story is not just the person assembling the machine on the shop floor. They're a big part of it. And that's always exciting and good to see is, you know, how how these things are assembled with care and intentionally, but how they were created. So I always try to make it a point to schedule in some time to go film engineers working in whatever software they work in. Um, because I think that's a that's a big part of the story. And, you know, it, it, it needs to be shown. Um, mm -hmm. That making sure you can film something in action when possible is always good. But a lot of times I look for, I always look for human, the human element of it. Um, it's very easy. You know, you're talking about a saw to just film the saw, but if you can set up a thing for someone to, you know, stage a construction site or something and show the saw actually engaged cutting things, it's and showing more specifically that human being using it. Obviously you're, you're, highlighting and making the saw look like the hero, but 
don't be afraid to get inserts of the people that are interacting with it because you know i think that goes a long way humans like to see humans and and stuff you know you're more likely to look longer at a photo of somebody using a saw than you will just a saw uh so humanize things as much as possible is kind of like i think the thing that can be forgotten whenever you're making a product video yeah and i think like this isn't necessarily a shot you might forget but something you might forget in your planning goes with what nick was saying about seeing the product in action if your product in action requires some sort of like consumable, so like if it's forming like a piece of pipe or if it's packaging a piece of chicken or something, making sure you have the materials on hand to like simulate that well so it it looks a little bit real at least, um, I think is something that is could easily be an afterthought when you're planning like, oh, shoot, I need fake chicken to run on my packaging machine. Um, so it's not just empty, you know, trays with packaging around them, stuff like that, um, makes a big difference. That's a, that's, yeah, that's massive. That's huge. I'm so glad you said that. Yeah. I didn't even think of that, but, and not just having it on hand, you know, having a lot of it on hand, because you have to realize like, you're going to do it one time. And a lot of times that first one, especially if you're filming a chicken breast being picked up by a machine, uh, Chances are whoever's filming that hasn't filmed that before. So they might need to see how it happens to understand how they want to film it. And then once they do, like I was talking about filming in sequences, I'm going to want to film that in a wide shot, in a medium shot, and in a close up, or at least in a wide shot and a close up. You know, at the very least, I'm going to want two runs at it. So, yeah, if it's something where there's a consumable aspect to it, have a bunch of pieces of tubing on hand to, so that you can end form a bunch um, that, that will, you will never be sorry that you were prepared to run multiple takes on something like that because that's also probably where a lot of the um a lot of the interest and in, and in important pieces of the the footage that you're going to get is going to come from so you know make sure you're you're locked and loaded before you you show up to actually do it yeah and if you if you do a lot of trade shows just think about how you would prep for a trade show where you're going to have to be doing a demo on that machine like a bunch of times a day like yeah yeah exactly Exactly. Awesome. Um, what is the, like, where is the ideal place to capture content? Does the environment kind of factor into the shots you're going to get? Definitely. And I think it is completely contingent on what the product is that you're actually filming. A lot of times we end up filming on a shop floor because that's where the machines being assembled or is completed or is in storage. It's that's just where we end up. But um, yeah, environment is key. If if it's possible, we did a shoot uh, earlier this year where we were, we were filming rail gear. Um, you know, we got to see that in the shop, but one thing that I think made that piece that we were making specifically so impactful was actually seeing the rail gear in operation, which meant us driving a couple hours North. I think it was, it was, a, it was like a two hour drive for us to get up there, but those shots did so much more than just seeing uh, for, I guess, people that aren't aware of rail gear. It's like, uh, like train wheels, you know, rail, rail wheels for rails that come down off of a truck to go onto railroad tracks so that, you know, maintenance trucks can work on railroad tracks. Seeing that engage on a shop floor and come down is one thing, you know, and it's visually very impressive because it's a lot of weight and mechanically intricate, but seeing that happen on actual railroad tracks and seeing a truck, take off down railroad tracks did so much more for showing that that product off than anything we could have filmed in their warehouse. 
So yeah, be having a, I think environment, yes, it's always going to matter, but considering where your product's going to be used and is it, is it physically possible or uh, is it in the budget for you to be able to get to where you can film the product being used in the way that it's intended to be used? That will go a very, very, very long way for, for anybody. Yeah. And it just helps your customer, like put it into context again. Like it's just another form of mental gymnastics, right? If you're filming the machine on your shop floor, like say maybe it's a piece of equipment that would normally be part of like an entire production line. Well, you can only show that isolated piece on your production floor. And if that's what you have at your disposal, like that's still a great product video. But if you have the ability to go film like in one of your customer's facilities and you can see that machine in context, that's going to resemble more what your customer is seeing day to day, like what's in their mind when they're looking for the solution they need. Um, I know a lot of times like trade shows are also a good place to film, but that's also kind of the trade off, right? On the trade show floor, the equipment looks really nice. It's super shiny. It's like ready to go but it's also not in context right you have like your carpeted trade show booth underneath it you're never gonna have carpeting on a, a, a production floor so i think those are yeah it's just something to think about like how your customer is going to perceive that where based on the environment that it's in when you're shooting totally Cl closing the gap for their imagination of instead yes. of having to imagine it in the environment, put it in the environment and let them see it interact. And, and, you know, you kind of brought up a good point too, of like on the trade show, it's going to look nice and clean and whatnot. Sometimes, you know, that's great. If you're buying a four wheeler, you know, it's nice to see that four wheeler covered in mud or something like that. Right. Yeah. Like you, you want to see it, it, how the state of the machinery can kind of speak volumes as to how it's going to be used or evoking a certain emotion for somebody. Um, it's also worth considering that if you are filming some type of product, uh, it consider what the state of the product is. You know, does it need to be power washed um, or, or hand washed before you're filming it? Like, does it get used in a dirty environment? Are we filming a demo one that's been put through the ringer? Is it possible for us to get a brand new one? Because um, I've definitely been in situations where we're filming you know, a very expensive piece of machinery where it's not like there are, you know, four of them lying around. It's something that gets used and it gets used um, pretty extensively. Uh, and, you know, if there's a, if the, a piece of metal is, is dented on it, or if the logo's fading, you know, consider that because that's going to show up when you go to film it. Um, so if it's possible, put it in the best light, I guess is, is the, the short, short way to go about that. Yeah. And, that's a good segue. The last thing I wanted to talk about was just like other considerations for when you're filming. And I think that's like a big one is like the state of the equipment and actually like how things are are going to look on camera because like, you know, the production people that are, are showing around the shop floor, they're like, yeah, it gets used. This is what it looks like. But then your sales folks who are showing this to customers might be like, oh my God, like, why didn't we clean this machine? Um, and that's something that you can't, fix and post right nick you you can't clean a machine through editing right yeah absolutely um it just it just won't happen or it'll if you try to it won't look right and people will notice that yeah yeah make sure if it's if it's got your logo on it make sure it's the updated logo if it's covered in dirt make sure you wash it off if it's you know 
really beat up, try to try to get a different one to go with. That's you're completely right. Yeah. What are some of those other things like in a similar vein that can't be fixed in post? Like you kind of need to prep to make sure it's presented well in the video. I, I like to give people a heads up of um, it's good to have just your environment clean is a good consideration. Like if we're going to be filming on your shop floor, let everybody know to kind of clean up their work areas so that, you know, if you want it to look a little messy because it's being used, you know, that's, that's one thing. And it definitely has its place, but you know, if maybe there's one guy in the shop who isn't necessarily the cleanest person, maybe, maybe give Dave a heads up before we get there that he needs to have things tidy because if we go over to film in his workstation and it's messy, it's going to be messy. Kind of same thing in offices, you know, when people get really busy, desks get pretty cluttered. Uh, mm-hmm. It's good to make sure that's updated. Also love to let people know in advance that we're going to be filming. So if somebody doesn't want to be on camera, they can step away. Um, another big one that I think is important is be conscious of logos that might appear. Um and I mean that in twofold. One, make sure your logos are updated. If you want everybody to be, you know, in branded gear, that's, you know, good. You want to hand out T-shirts to everybody so everybody's got the new logo on as we're filming in the shop. That's something good to consider. Uh, but also be aware that, you know, if someone's wearing a Fox Racing T-shirt, you know, now you're going to have a Fox Racing logo in there. And your options are either leave it or blur it. Um, so giving people a heads up to, hey, make sure you're wearing plain clothes, you know, solid colors, no logos on it, or be aware that when you go to film, you never know. There's, there's always something that pops up that you're going to want to film that maybe you didn't expect um, and try to be ready for that and let everybody else be ready for that. So those are something, some things I like to tell people before we actually show up and start filming, let them know we're coming when we're coming and to Mm -hmm. dress appropriately is huge. Yeah. And I think Another big one is um, safety too. Like if there's a shot where somebody is not fully complying with safety regulations, like you probably don't want that in your product video. And I know in an ideal world, like you should always be complying with those, but you know, sometimes maybe somebody forgets to put their glasses back on after they come back from lunch. And if you get that on video, Nick can't, you know, superimpose some safety glasses on somebody, you know? Yeah. Totally. Well, and you run into situations where if somebody's not being, it's such a simple fix can save you. Like maybe it's a really great shot. Maybe it's the best shot of what this is, but you've realized that in the background, somebody's uh, up on a ladder with one foot on a shelf and they're trying to, you know, it's where it's just those little things that can make it to where you can't use something that normally you Mm -hmm. would because somebody wasn't having the right consideration in the moment. So yeah, whenever we're doing shoots, we always like to have, I think we talked about this a little bit um, when we spoke last week, but like having somebody, um, whenever we go to do shoots, having somebody from the client side that's with us, they can kind of like make sure and keep an eye out um, and go have that conversation with that person of, hey, um, if you're welding, you really need to have your mask on. You can't just close your eyes. <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> We need to make sure we're, we're visually being OSHA compliant because this is going to be seen ideally by a lot of people. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, and especially if you're like kind of like simulating something too, you need to make yeah. sure the simulation like kind of includes the right PPE and everything. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. Um, also, another thing is is thinking about conditions that might make it harder to shoot on the floor, like and safety is a part of that too. Like 
for example, if you're wanting to shoot a piece of equipment, but you it's like an automation cell and it has um, caging around it, that's mm-hmm. something that can impact, you know, the you don't want a grid of lines in front of that shot. And maybe you can't remove that caging, but if you let your videographer know in advance, you, there might be some more creative solutions to get better shots there. Yeah, absolutely. Maybe there is a section of the inside that caging where they can set up a camera on a tripod and then remove themselves from it, um, where, you know, it's not going to interact with anything, but it keeps the human element out of there. Um, also, we we film a lot of people machining stuff. Um, and sometimes it's easier to film than others. Whenever there's, a, you know, if we're filming through a window making sure that that's clean and tidy, you know, workspaces get dirty, but if we have to film into a closed environment, but there's a viewport, making sure we clean that viewport off so that it looks good and it isn't, you know, dusty and grimy because a lot of times most of our clients, and I think most manufacturers, manufacturing's changed. It's not the dirty gritty job that it used to be. It's a lot cleaner than it used to be. And just remembering that when you go to film on your shop floor is is massive for sure. Yeah. And also the uh, the different types of shots that you need. I think um, this is something that's important when you're vetting a videographer to know if they have the capabilities. But like, for example, I know there are some products where they're so huge or to see them in action properly, you would need like an overhead drone shot or something like not every videographer is going to automatically have that capability. I don't know if there are other examples of that, Nick, like in terms of equipment limitations. Um, that's, that's a big one. That's probably the most common one, but I think it is important to, uh, if you, if there's a certain style or a certain visual that you want for your thing, look for that in the work of the, the videographer, or cinematographer or production company that you're hiring. Like if you don't see it in their body of work, you know, it's not unreasonable for you to ask for samples of, Hey, do you have, you know, uh, anything that you can show me of you guys filming in this type of environment? Um, here's the kind of thing or you can send examples to them. Hey, I found this piece that I really like. Do you have any examples of work that where you've achieved a look like this or something? Mm-hmm. You, you know, you can. It It's difficult whenever you don't speak the language, but it's also that person's job to be able to communicate to you that, yes, we can achieve that look for you. Or, you know, maybe this is a different type of product. Maybe it's a different type of business. Maybe it's not even manufacturing, but it has the aesthetics that you're looking for. Um, They can kind of help you understand what it is that they're able to do. And remember, it's ultimately your call. Um, Mm -hmm. But I think the the drone operator is a big one because I I think maybe not not a lot of a lot of people are aware, but maybe not everybody these days that, you know, to be a drone operator, you need to be FAA certified. And that's not the case for a lot of different people. Just because someone owns a drone doesn't necessarily mean that they are uh, legally allowed to fly it, especially in certain areas where you might be filming, given considerations of, you know, railroad tracks or, uh, you know, you're near an airport or something like that. So making sure you're looking for someone with the right certifications for that specific skill sets, definitely a good thing to do as well. Awesome. Yeah, those are all some good, like, kind of closing considerations, things that, you know, you could easily not think about until you're on site and it's too late to prep for it, right? Sometimes you're like, shoot, I should have tidied this up or I shouldn't have had this picture of my granddaughter on my desk. I don't want her in this video, you know, yeah. stuff like that. Um Definitely. yeah, can't always fix it later. So right. Nick, any closing thoughts about what goes into making a good product video, parting advice, anything like that? 
Um, I think the big thing is, you know, keep it short and be very intentional about what you want to capture. Uh, if you're doing a voiceover script, when you see the script, record it, you know, record yourself reading it, get a sense of how long it is. You know, you might, a lot of times people want to put when specifically with product videos, I think I see this a lot. There's a lot to say about a product, especially when you're part of the company that's responsible for the product. You know, there's a lot of work and features and considerations that went into why this product is the way that it is. And, you know, it's, it can be tough to figure out where to draw the line and where you, what you include in the video and what you don't include. But always remember the audience like you um, will only have attention for so much of that video, even if they're already interested in the product when they start the video, you know, try to keep it to somewhere around the three minute mark. You know, if you start to creep, creep up over five minutes or something like that, you're going to start to lose people. Um, so when you're, you're planning out what it is that you want to include and what you want to communicate, uh, consider the time, consider, do we need to include all of this is, is some of this left better to the, you know, technical description on the webpage for the device, or that could be answered in a follow-up conversation. If it's a, you know, really high capital product, um, consider time, uh, consider visuals and yeah, I don't know. I think, uh, yeah, find find someone that works that works well with you or that you feel like you can collaborate that is willing to take on your project if you're hiring it out. Look for look for someone whose work you like and who you get a good feeling about working with and their communication skills because you're going to be talking to them a lot and uh, you need to make sure you're both on the same page the whole time. Yeah, oh, that's really good parting advice. It's actually a really good summary of like a lot of what we talked about from the planning to uh, the types of shots you should get, how you should structure your video. Um, everything. So Nick, what's the best way for, uh, people to get in touch with you? Uh, I would say I, for this type of stuff, I've got a LinkedIn. It's Nick Tacconi. You can find me there. I'm on Instagram at Nick Tacconi. You can find me there. Um, those are probably the two best ways to, to get a hold of me or find me is just, uh, yeah. First, last name on LinkedIn or Instagram. Nice. And um, got a few closing uh, plugs information uh, for everyone. Uh, the Industrial Marketing Summit is happening in Austin, Texas, January 31st through February 2nd. And Nick, you're going to be there, right? I'm going to be there. We're going to be yeah. fun. I'll You'll be... see him in action. <laughs> I was going to say, yeah. <laughs> yeah, with camera in hand. So that's going to be a really uh, fun, uh, educational live event for industrial marketers. Uh, going to be a lot of great speakers there. A lot of people you've probably interacted with on LinkedIn. You're going to meet them in person. I'm really excited for it. Um, we also have Industrial Marketing Live, which happens the first and third Thursday of the month at 10 a.m. Uh, Central Time. Uh, we had Nick on the live show last week. Uh, we have lots of great guests from, you know, inside Gorilla and outside Gorilla. Um, and in that community, uh, we also have a Slack channel. So a lot of people are in there asking questions, sharing advice um, outside of of the uh, twice monthly episodes. So if you want to get added to that, uh, just find me on LinkedIn. Also, first and last name, pretty easy to find. Um, and just uh, shoot me a message. I can get you in there. Uh, Aaron Burrish. I don't know if I said my last name. So. Anyways, uh, Nick, thank you so much for joining us um, and talking more about product videos. It's a really good time. Absolutely. Always good talking to you, Aaron. Thanks for having me. All right. We'll see you.